we are seeking the Lord uh, for an awakening. <coughs> and um, how many of you know what that is, that picture is? It's a tuning fork, right? It's a tuning fork. I guess they were invented in the 1700s for the royal courts of England. And uh, most of them give off an A, yeah, from what I understand. Um, but what's the purpose of a tuning fork? Any of you young people know what a tuning fork is, kids? Know what it does? Yeah. It tunes the instrument. It plays a note that you can then um, put everything in tune to from that, right? It's like the standard. It's the standard. Um, <clears throat> what we're going to be looking at this morning in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, is like the tuning fork for our prayers. Um, this is typically called the Lord's Prayer, but if we're honest, this is the disciples' prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. The Lord uh, uh, does not pray this prayer. There's parts of it that are that are parts of His prayers, um, but the Lord never has to ask for forgiveness, does He? And that's part of His prayer. So this is for the disciples. Disciples' prayer. Um, what uh, is unique about this prayer is that. Um, it is. Uh, it was. It was in the. It was given while Jesus was praying. Uh, it, Jesus prays, and his disciples uh, say, "Lord, teach us to pray." So there's something about the way Jesus prayed that was attractive, that sparked their curiosity in the prayer. And Jesus says, "This is how you pray." And he gives this prayer, and and this this prayer is less of a, an idea of this is what you say, um, you know, every day these things, uh, th- this specific way, and this is more of a pattern. These are principles, as I understand it, in prayer. Um, not every prayer is going to be shaped this way. Think of Peter when he was walking on the water and he starts to fall in because he turns his eyes off Jesus. He didn't have time to say the Lord's Prayer, did he? He had time to say, save me, before he would have bubbles coming out of his mouth. And uh, so this is a prayer here that is designed to give us the principles, the agenda, from looking uh, in our relationship to God, a vertical relationship uh, that we need to pray, the pattern, the principles. This is the tuning fork for our prayers. You see, the gospel produces a praying people. Uh, When we ask God... When we pray to the Lord, good prayer in the Spirit either gets what it asks for or something better. God's will. Been challenged to think about prayer here, and we see the agenda in this prayer, God's big agenda. Challenge to ask myself is my prayer a dangerous missile aimed at the destruction of Satan, or is it something more like a weak, harmless, shallow toy that he would sneer at? And I believe as our prayers are in tune with God's prayers, and we pray according to the principles that He's placed in His Word with a with a fervent heart, with a passionate heart, that our prayers will be used by the Lord. For the purposes of his kingdom. Prayer, as a believer, is essential to the soul. It is essential to our calling as a believer. Prayer is one of the most Christ-like qualities. We saw that last week as we looked at the Lord's praying. 
We saw uh, five different snapshots of Jesus praying. And if we're to be like our Lord, if we're to follow the Rabbi Jesus, if we're to follow our Savior, if we're to follow our King, then we would follow His praying. Prayer is the means of blessing. Prayer is an item of supreme importance in our spiritual life. So therefore, it is an item of supreme value. But how much worth do we really attach to it? You see... Our greatest problem is not unanswered prayer. Our greatest problem is unoffered prayer. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are to keep our personal prayers a priority in our lives, in our personal lives. But folks, we are also to keep corporate prayer a priority in our personal life as well. There is a description in the scriptures, happens many times in the Old Testament, of God's people, and it describes them as those who call upon the name of the Lord, as a distinctive mark of God's people. You see, only those who truly believe pray. You say, well, there's all kinds of religions that offer prayers. Only those who truly believe pray, sense that the Bible describes prayer. This morning... I'd like us to direct our attention to Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. And consider God's big agenda. God's big agenda. But this morning, I want you to look at this passage. It's up in the screens in your Bibles there. Look closely. Look closely at this passage. And I want us to consider, who is Jesus speaking to? Who is Jesus speaking to? In this prayer. He's speaking to his disciples. Speaking to his disciples. Okay? And his disciple says, Lord, teach us to pray. So this disciple was, in, was concerned that he and his other disciples would learn how to pray. And Jesus says unto them, When you pray, say, My Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Give me day by day my daily bread, and forgive me my sins, for I also forgive everyone that is indebted to me. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Is that what he says? What did you detect? What was different between what I said and what the verses say? There is a plurality in those, in those pronouns, isn't there? There is a togetherness. There is a corporateness. And while it is not wrong to pray this as an individual, and to pray these principles as an individual, do not miss this. If you look closely, you'll see that the words in red there, those are, this is a corporate prayer. This is the prayer for the disciples together. This is a prayer for uh, 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 a community that is shaped by God's big agenda. This is a prayer that um, uh, expresses a common need. This is a prayer that unites hearts together under God's will. This is a prayer that we share and pray together. We are connected and we pray this together. Understand that. Understand that. And as I said, it's not wrong to pray this personally. But the idea here, the point of this is that Jesus' disciples would pray this together. Together. 
And why is that important? Well, that's important because look how Jesus starts off. He says, when ye, and ye is the plural of you. So when you all pray, say, our Father, our Father. Now you as individuals can, can, can say, my Father, right? And you're exactly right. You have a personal relationship with the God of the universe. But Jesus is saying, I want you to come together and say, our Father. Our Father. Why is that so special? Why is that so special? Well, folks, we as sons and daughters can address the God of the universe as our Father through Jesus Christ. This is through a a, a teaching in the scripture called sonship. Sonship. We've been made sons of God. We speak as children together to our Father. Children together to our Father. And the word that he uses for Father isn't the Greek word for Father, Peter. It's the, it's the Aramaic word Abba. Actually, in the original language. Our Abba. Our Abba. And that word doesn't mean Daddy in, 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 in a cute way like sometimes is expressed. It actually, there's more of a reverence to it than that. Um, though we have that intimacy, uh, it actually means Dearest Father. Dearest Father. Dearest Father. There's a sweetness. There's an affection with it. And why can we go to God as our together Father? Well, Scripture tells us why in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. Later on, Paul explains this concept. He says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We're sons of God. We are children of God. Uh, He explains it in Romans chapter 8 as well. And verse 15 and 16. The sonship of the believer. Once an enemy, now seated at his table, as the song says, we're, we're brought into his fellowship. Romans 8, 15 and 16 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby, on the basis of this, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and of children and heirs. We speak as children to our Father. We can, the picture here, when Jesus says in Luke 11, when ye pray, say our Father, is the picture of children climbing into their Father's lap. That's the sweetness, that's the intimacy here. Uh, do you remember the picture of um, John F. Kennedy sitting at the desk in the Oval Office and his son playing under the desk there? That's the picture here. That was probably the most powerful man in the planet. And there's this boy playing under the desk. We have the privilege to whisper our needs, our praises, and our confession in his ear. Our Father. And a lack of that happening indicates we do not want to be with our Father. Which should make us tremble. For those who would not want to talk to our Father would not enjoy heaven. And may not be there. You see, that's the difference between an unbeliever and a believer. 
have a person to go to as a believer. And who is it? Our Father. So that really sets the the premise here for what we're going to be looking at. As children to our Father, we ask together. We ask together. Now there are uh, three things that we're going to see this morning. We ask together. And the first is this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, we don't use that word hallowed uh, in our modern day English very often, do we? We talk sometimes about those hallowed halls, right? Um, But the word hallowed means uh, to be set apart. It's where we get the idea of being sanctified, set apart. We, We are seeking God's name to be set apart from everything else. We are seeking for God to be revered. We are seeking for God to be truly worshipped. Hallowed be your name. Set apart be your name. That name, the name of God, the name of God that uh, the, the, the Hebrew writers wouldn't even put the vowels in. And we, do, we have this um, uh, name for God that we, we, we know the letters are, uh, it's, we pronounce it Yahweh, but we know the consonants were a Y, a W, and an H. But we don't know what filled in because they left the vowels out because they couldn't write it for the sacredness of it. So we just guessed that it was pronounced Yahweh. Um, I heard uh, a man from Zambia uh, talking about how in his country, in his culture, um, as was probably more true in years gone by in our time, and probably should be more true now, um, though it isn't, that you didn't call an adult by their first name as a child. Um, you would call them Mr. So-and-so and use their last name. And um, he said as a kid, somebody asked him what his mom's name was. And he didn't even know it. <laughs> he didn't know his mom's name. That was mother, right? Um, he didn't know the name of his friend's mother's name either. That was missing so-and-so. And he said uh, later on, and he had to, uh, in filling out a form as an adult, he had to put his mom's name down. He said, I almost couldn't write it. It was so sacred. Is this not something you just do so lightly? And that's the idea here. God's name set apart. God's name is the vehicle of his self-disclosure. There is a weight and glory of his name. And so we are asking for his name to be set apart. We're asking for God's glory to be set apart. God's glory to be set apart. God's glory to be set apart is why creation was made. It is why Israel was chosen for his own glory. It is why you are made and why you are saved for his glory. And when Jesus says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, he is saying that we are to see God as he is and worship him alone above all else. We're to see his grandeur. We're to to worship. We're to see him as he truly is in the beauty of his holiness. We are, this is a request here, to behold his glory. A request to behold his glory. Our Father which art in heaven, set apart be your name. And so we are to ask together for his name to be set apart. His name to be set apart. 
We're to seek the glory of God. And this happens through the means of salvation. We're to ask God to see people saved. We're to ask God to see others grow in the gospel for His glory. I want to illustrate this a little bit, um, looking in some passages in Scripture in the book of John, which is all about God's glory. So if you turn with me, please, to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Verse 28. John 12, 28. Jesus speaking. Father, glorify thy name. That's the idea of God's name being hallowed, set apart. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Glorify your name, Father. Go to chapter 13, verse 31. Now, how was God's name glorified? Well, it was glorified in the expression of His glory, the Son of God. The Son of God. John thirteen thirty one. Therefore, when He was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God be glorified in Him, God shall also glorify Him in Himself, and shall straightway or immediately glorify Him. Now, do you see the connection? Jesus wanted His Father's name to be glorified. How was His Father's name glorified? It was glorified in Jesus. In Jesus. Okay? Is there another connection? I believe there is. <clears throat> as Jesus was glorified, as God was glorified by Jesus, so, Jesus takes that another level, and in God's mercy and grace, He asks God to be glorified in us. How can God be glorified in us? Well, it's only through Jesus. But I'd like you to look at John 17, which is really the Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is what He, what he actually prayed Himself. In John 17, in verse 1, listen. These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. This is the night before He's crucified. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. Look in verse 21 later on. That they all may be one, as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee. That they, all may, may, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent Me. And the glory which Thou gavest Me, God's glory, His name set apart, also shared with His Son, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and Thou and Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and the world may know that Thou hast loved Me, and hast loved them as Thou hast loved Me. Father, I will that they also, whom Thou hast given Me, be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory, which Thou hast given Me, for Thou lovest Me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee, and these have known that Thou hast sent Me. And I have declared unto them Thy name, and will declare it. Why? That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. In other words, Jesus is saying one of the ways that God's name is set apart is through the love of His people for one another. 
But not only that, the love of the work that Jesus has done, the gospel to go, to go forth, the growth and the gospel for his glory. And that's why Jesus can say in Matthew 5.17, let your lights so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works, the purpose of, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So this prayer here for God's name to be set apart has a responsibility in our lives too, doesn't it? We ask together for His name to be set apart. Look at the next part here. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Here, I believe the reference to His second coming because the word that is used here for come is a verb tense that means once and for all. Your kingdom come once and for all. And here is a request, a prayer for the second coming, for the return, for God to judge, to set up His kingdom. And in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 9, with this same idea, Zechariah says this, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord, and His name one. What we are asking here is for God to do what He promised. Now, is God, is, is Christ going to come as king? Yes, He is. He is king. He's going to come as king. No doubt about it. It's going to happen. But yet, God has asked us to pray that that will come. Now, there is a comfort in Luke 9.11 and Luke 10.9, where Jesus says that, Kingdom is among you now. There's a comfort uh, that 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 that, uh, that Satan's dominion is on its last legs. It has been crushed. We yearn for his coming reign. His dominion, God's God's kingdom, is ruled by His word. Think about it. This world, this planet, we live in the midst of a rebel creation. Once rebels ourselves. Sometimes we can revert back to that. But rebels who eat the king's food. Who breathe the king's air, who drink the king's water, who kill the king's servants, who ignore the king's law. We are asking for justice to be done. We are asking for his kingdom to come. It is expressed in another way in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation, when the martyrs say, How long, Lord, will you come and judge the earth? How long will righteousness be established? Will you not do it now? Until we, till that day comes when Christ returns. In the meantime, we are asking for evidences of that eternal kingdom to be true in our lives. We're asking for changed hearts. You see, we have been translated, Colossians says, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of light. We ask for changed hearts, to receive the word, to receive God's reign, His loving rule in our lives, to see citizens one to the kingdom, to reflect the king as people have been transformed, that he descends in power and presence and answer to our prayers together, that hearts are melted under his word. The Bible teaches us that In this kingdom, 
In the meantime, right now, while we wait for that coming kingdom, we're to seek repentance. Jesus begins His ministry in Matthew 4.17. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. We seek repentance. Uh, Mark 1, verse 14 and 15 also agrees and says, we are to repent, we are to obey. Luke 9, verse 62 tells us that in light of this coming kingdom, we are to commit. Luke 9, 62 says this, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33 says, We're to pursue this kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. So we are asking together, not only for His name to be set apart, but for His reign to arrive. His reign to arrive. And these requests here should lead us to ask, what are we praying for? Is that what God's hearing? Or is He hearing shopping lists? These are the things that make up God's big agenda together. And thirdly, <clears throat> thirdly, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. As in heaven, so on earth. Here we are pleading his promises together, for his truthfulness is bound to his promises. Here, we are showing God His own handwriting. We're saying, God, this is what you said. Your will, your revealed will be done in my life and in this earth. We are putting our case before God. We are pleading His promises. We are, in the words of one of the Puritans, we are to sue God for what He has said. We do not leave Him alone. We are to pester Him as it were, in light of His parable here, with His own promise, though He's not pestered. We are to quote the Scripture to Him. And you know, God delights to hear us doing that, as a father likes to see this element in his own child. A child who has obviously been listening to what his father has been saying and said, Father, you said this, do it. Thy will be done. We are to ask Him, Together, we're to show him his own handwriting. That's what the early church did. God, you said this in Psalm 2. Do it on the basis of your word. And may we have boldness. In Acts chapter 4, and God does. God answers their prayer. This is really a prayer, and I believe... Uh, the Lord's Prayer, if we're really honest and really think about it, is a prayer for an awakening. It's a prayer for revival. It's a prayer for a spirit-controlled life. That God's Word would dwell in our hearts by faith richly. Your will be done in our lives. May we not be stubborn and obstinate and putting up obstacles. May we melt before Your Word and obey. This is a prayer for a spirit-controlled church. A spirit-controlled church is made up of spirit-controlled husbands, spirit-controlled wives, spirit-controlled children, spirit-controlled singles, spirit-controlled plumbers, electricians, contractors, salesmen, drivers, nurses, clerks, retirees, spirit-filled moms and dads, spirit-filled teens, spirit-filled mailmen, pastors, deacons, teachers, 
bank tellers, carpenters, your will be done. This is a prayer for obedience to the word of God without a hesitation. Gladly. This is a prayer for the transformed inner man. This is a prayer for teaching to obey whatsoever I have commanded you. And folks, Jesus is recognized by king as king. He is king, but he's recognized as king by the church when we obey. When his church eagerly obey, <coughs> obeys. And this is awakening. This is revival. The proof of new hearts is hearts that love and obey. And I wonder... Do we groan for these things? Do we groan for these things? For His name to be set apart. For His reign to arrive. And thirdly, for His desires to be accomplished. For His desires to be accomplished. Thy will be done. As in heaven, it is done. So we ask it to be done here on earth in a fallen world. Folks, as children together, on equal standing here, because of Christ, I'm going to ask you to do something and put this into practice this morning. I wonder if you take the next five minutes to pray these three things. Someone around you. I'm asking that on the on these three things that that you would build an altar in your heart. You would build an altar that God can honor with his fire coming down, that our hearts would be melted so the glory of God breaks through. This prayer is a kiss to heaven so that heaven kisses earth. And so what I want to ask you to do is here and this is how we're going to end our service. We're not going to sing. We're going to pray. And it is a sad thing in the state of American church when it's a strange thing to ask God's people to pray corporately at the end of a service, isn't it? Um, it wasn't, that wasn't true of the early church, was it? And that's just a revealer of the revival that we need. So I'm asking you, if you would pray with the person next to you or around you, and pray these three things.